Hi. Hi. I was about to ask, how are you doing? And then I thought maybe how are you holding up is a better question. <laughs> um, yeah. How does it feel to be the um, new old leader of the free world, Merit? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, I don't know. I just I feel like uh, uh, Canada is the true leader of the free world and like probably actually like low key has been for a long time. Yeah, I mean, God, Prime Minister Selfie is, um, I have mixed feelings about him, right? Because he he is very handsome and he is very good at photo ops and kind of making these big statements, but um, he doesn't always get the goods. And this week has been, I mean, he made that statement on the weekend about how like Canada is welcoming and like we welcome refugees but um for people who don't know uh canada actually has an agreement with the united states uh called the safe third country agreement and uh do you know about this uh let's just let's just pretend that i don't so that the listeners um (laughs) i'll just i'll just um compare notes to no i actually don't know what you're talking about please enlighten me tell me i (laughs) Like, like eating up like everything, uh, you know, Prime Minister Cutie says. And uh, I'm, you know, please tell me the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for the folks who do not know, um, basically, Canada has an agreement with the United States. And I think there are similar agreements in Europe as well, because I have heard of this kind of thing coming up there as well around refugees. But basically, what it means is that any refugee who uh, lands in the United States yeah. must attempt to or must claim asylum in the United States. You're not allowed to then travel up to Canada and try to claim asylum here. And the idea there is that uh, the United States is a safe third country uh, and it's pretty messed up especially now that that is less true than ever um and so, so, so what you're saying is that a refugee can't like ask mom and when mom says no go ask dad and and say like well mom told me that i could ask you yeah well i mean i th- i guess the the intent well, I think the intent is probably terrible. Um, like, it's these kinds of policies are about are yeah these po- kinds of policies are about xenophobia and racism and and about this myth that refugees shop around for the best place oh. to live. Um, and what that means right now, though, is that you have a country that is turning people away who previously were allowed to enter the country, and so. We're still not allowed to take them, though, is the thing, which is very strange. So people have been pushing him to to reconsider that. And it would be a big deal, I think, because Canada and the U.S. have very close diplomatic relations. I mean, we're neighbors. Mm. Um, and I don't know, like, how far Trudeau is willing to go to upset Trump. I mean, I think a lot of government officials have been pretty diplomatic so far, unfortunately. Um but Canada does have a history of not really wanting to upset the United States because it is such a huge trade partner for us. Yeah. Oh, man. 
to answer your question, how am I holding up? I, you know, it's like touch and go. Um, I was talking to someone I'm very close to, um, who is like a reasonably, I would say liberal and, uh, you know, like informed person, but who doesn't like work in media or sit in front of a computer for work all day. And, um, I talked to her on, on Sunday night, which was yesterday. Um, and I kind of referenced the fact that I had had a gig on Saturday night and hadn't, um, been able to go to JFK. And and she said, what do you mean? JFK? Were you flying somewhere? (laughs) And I was like, Oh, so I just, it, it, it just, uh, shown this, uh, shined a light, shone a light for me on the fact that like people who like, even people who want to be informed or who are like more informed than average could like go a weekend without knowing that the, the Muslim ban executive order had, had happened or that people were protesting. Like it, it blew my mind. Yeah, it's wild. Um, I've been trying to talk to my family about some of this stuff and just like, yeah, like they're gobsmacked when they hear about it. But it's like, like, I I guess if you're not on Twitter all day, like, and you don't happen to watch the news, it's unfortunately pretty easy to know that, to not know that this is happening, especially in Canada. But like, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's wild to realize that, oh, there are people who don't actually, um, who, who don't actually live that way, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's touch and go and day-to-day for me. Um, I think I'm kind of going, like, raised earth on my, like, current, um, like, professional situation um, and just kind of being, like, uh, there's like no, I don't know that there's like no time to waste and I need to be doing the work that I want to be doing, like, which is partially like the like self care. Like I need to take a bath right now because it's self care for the revolution. <laughs> like it's definitely part of that. And I will be the first to admit it, but it is also like, there are ways that I can, um, uh, like be engaged and, um, scrupulous about, the work that I'm making right now. And, um, if not now, when, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm being a little vague. I'm like sort of being deliberately vague, but I, <laughs> I like, I like need my, um, I like, don't think that I need to be like patted on the back for like talking about what is going on in the world in my work. But then sometimes I see that people are like not paying attention to it. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is important for me to continue to focus on and not lose sight of. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's so weird seeing how people deal with this stuff, right? Because like, I mean, first of all, everyone sort of has a different threshold, I think, for when they start talking about things. Um, mm. Like a lot of the things that we're seeing going on right now are... Um, I feel like people want to treat as radical breaks from history as these brand new things that we've never seen before. And while it's true that maybe the degree or the obviousness of some of them, the the kind of blatancy of some of them is, is new. 
the ideas aren't novel, right? And like the the trends aren't novel. And um, like all of the people who were saying, and so it begins, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, I do, um, I do. And, you know, and and like everybody's like, we're out here. Yeah, we've lot- been here. Um, yeah, and I guess related to that is people and I feel like it's especially the people who are the least likely to be personally impacted um I agree who seem I mean, to I love say, but I already agree <laughs> yeah who just seem to love talking about like we're all gonna die this is it haha <laughs> apocalypse jokes and on the one hand I understand that those can be an anxiety safety valve for some people. And on the other hand, I've talked about this a lot on Twitter, but I feel like um, if you have a lot of followers, if you have a platform, you, you have a responsibility to think about how what you're putting out into the world affects your audience. And especially when that stuff is coming from guys who maybe have never felt threatened mm. by by things like this ever before and suddenly do. Um, yeah. It's really... Um, I don't have time for it. (laughs) I do not have time for it, basically. Well, I've been listening to a lot of George Michael. Um, That's been helping. (laughs) I can see how that would help. Yeah, I I mean, I, um, I definitely, you know, 2016 taught me a lot about grief because I really, really, really love David Bowie, Prince, Leonard Cohen, and George Michael. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are definitely four um, of my, like, you know, the, like, dooby-dooby-doo gender thing of being queer, where you're like, I want to, like, do you and be you. Do I want to do you or do I want to (laughs) be... (laughs) Like, that's, like, like, four expressions of, like, my gender, but also, like, the gender who who I want to sit on um and so and then for them all to die in a year um uh yeah just like taught me so much about grief but now I feel like um they're like they're because everybody everybody's gonna die um so like this sort of comfort of the just like the natural literally natural order of things of like these amazing people made this amazing art and then they and that that has like brought me so much like joy and happiness and um and now they're dead and I can totally like access uh like having an open heart and just like feeling my feelings by listening to their music um and uh so that feels like a very um it especially Leonard Cohen who who died like the fucking day that Trump was elected um i was like oh thank you for dying so that i could remember that just listening to nonstop Leonard Cohen was exactly what i needed to cope with that mm-hmm. but i also um when's the last time that you really like thought about the lyrics to i want your sex by george michael it's it's been a while. Yeah, I was never, I don't know, I think I, I was maybe a little too young to have jumped on the George Michael boat. Um, oh, well, he's, you know, it's never too late. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I should I should get in on that um, sooner rather than later. But um, 
there's this really funny part where he says, um, sex is best when it's one on one. And I, I'm like, do you really, did you really believe that George? (laughs) What does that mean? Um, hmm. And he also says, um, sex is natural. Sex is good. Not everybody does it, but everybody should. And like when I was in my twenties, I was like, fuck yeah, everybody should fuck. And now I'm like, well, but what about asexual people? (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. I know that, you know, those kinds of like sex positive people who are like, Sexual liberation means that <laughs> should have the sex that I think that they should have. I um, mm-hmm. yeah, I <laughs> I do know of those kinds of people. Um, I yeah, they make me um want to n- retroactively never have done it. Um, sex? Yeah, yeah. I'm just like mm, no, I don't want to do this ever again or have ever done it um i'm good now you've cured me of my sex wanting because with that comic you drew that was just about how how just dorky fun anal sex is i'm good now forever you know can i tell you a story you can okay you may you must (laughs) i don't think that i don't think i've ever told this story uh like as Tina Horn. Um, but uh, I once had a New Year's Eve party. I think it was 2009, like the halcyon days of 2009 in the Bay Area. And um, my dad happened to be living um, in San Francisco and he was out of town over New Year's. So he said that I could have people over and I totally did that thing where I told people if they didn't have any other New Year's plans, they could stop by. So it became this huge rage-a-thon, <laughs> um, which is like not, you know, and I just kind of like went with it. Um, and, uh, you know, had a lot of fun. Um, but then these two people who I barely knew, like friends of friends of friends, um, started having strap on sex, um, on my dad's neighbor's car, like in front, like on the Mm -hmm. street of the apartment. And, and his neighbors, um, lived on the first floor. So also, and they like had children, which like, you know, uh, like you got to protect the children, but also like, uh, this is an instance where I'm like, yes, like think of the children. (laughs) So, um, so they, you know, the neighbors come out, I didn't witness this, but it was recounted to me. Um, the neighbors went outside and maybe they were dicks. Maybe they were polite. I don't know. Um, but they asked, um, these strangers to stop having sex on their car outside of their eight-year-old's window. And um, these people, again, not my friends, but people I had invited into um, my uh, dad's apartment, um, just started screaming at these people. And, um, you know, I don't even know what they said to them, but I do know that one thing that they did was whip the condom off of the 
strap-on dildo, which, by the way, this is how you know it's a queer story, because there's a condom on a dildo. Um, and, uh, and threw the used condom at the complaining neighbor, like, in their face. Um, so I find out that this has happened, and I'm like, get the fuck out. Um, and then, you know, the next day, like, called and said what you did was really fucked up. I need you to know that, like, I don't know if you even remember doing this, but I need you to know that you did this and it was really fucked up. And then for years after that, I would be like at some like queer punk party in Oakland and like somebody would, it would like come back to me that there were people there who were like uncomfortable with me because I wasn't actually sex positive that I like did all this sex positive work, but that I was like a phony because (laughs) I'm not sex positive, but the punchline of the story is that it like got me a reputation in Oakland for for not being sex positive. Um, God. So anyway. Oh my God. Wow. Tina Horn sex shamer. I I mean, that is actually on my business card. Yeah, God. I mean, I'm you know, I sex shamer. I believe that more people need to be king shamed. Um <laughs> that's my belief. I think those people needed a good king shaming. <laughs> Okay, Okay. let's break this down, though. Like, j- let's be like the ethicist column in the New York Times for a second, like if they would ever take a question like this. Like, I, you know, if these people, it, w- like, what is the kink that is involved here? In my, in my opinion, there's no kink involved. Like, I don't think that queer people having strap-on sex is, a, is, a, is kinky. Maybe public sex. Okay, public sex, I would call a kink. But like, unconsensually involving people including minors like in your like sexual thrill is unethical and like hella rude and fucked up um and then to throw to throw a condom in a person's face is a biohazard like i don't know if maybe these people had a kink for biohazards but like you know what i mean i do i do but and i I, I use the term king shaming very loosely, I guess. I just think people, yeah, people should be shamed for things like that because, dog, my dude, like, don't, <laughs> d- but don't, though. Do not. Just don't, though. And the gall to then call you a a fake sex positive person is... By the way, it was not, like, something that I was, like biking around Oakland, like trumpeting, you know, it's not like I was like, everybody, please like bow down to me as a sex positive icon. (laughs) Right. And it's, I can also imagine how that could have gone through a series of iterations where it starts off with you or with the series of events that actually happened. Right. And then it ends up with like two people like, kissing at your party and you shouting at them for no reason and then people are like oh my god tina horn can you believe that <laughs> um because that's how these things work right <laughs> they go I through mean, these like chains of popping like that you know that i know this to be true and mm-hmm. uh, i mean i do feel like experiences like that teach me not to stress out so much about the fact like like definitely there are people out there who think that I am like uh, all kinds of things like a hypocrite blah 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 like 
people are going to think that people are going to say it. Like, I, I can't, I can't control that, but I can, you know, have my own compass. For yeah. What I, right. Yeah. I think that's. And I'll admit a mistake, you know, mm-hmm. but also like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Anyway. I think that's really mature. That's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I try, I strive for that. Right. Um, and I think there are t- a bunch of reasons why it's hard to do. It's hard to let those things go. I mean, just there's like the psychological thing of like having someone say something bad about you, even if you know all these other people think highly of you, you want to focus on that and like, and, um, and prove them wrong. And then there's the other thing of like, because for a lot of people, like communities are their lifeline or like, you yeah. know, are their the spaces that they live in to have someone believe something really terrible about you uh, that isn't true is like, feels like an existential threat almost. Yeah. Um, but then the reality often is that those people don't really have any power over you. Mm. And um, often I, th- I don't know, there's a dynamic sometimes I think where people are looking for things to be upset about with people that they've already decided that they don't like. <laughs> I think you might be onto something. <laughs> or that they think have undue success or respect. And there is a feeling that there's a scarcity of success to go around. And mm. if someone else has some, then that means that I can't have it. Which oh my is- God, like human rights. <laughs> yeah, right? right? That is totally the way that people behave about human rights. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a great way to be. No, it's not. You know, um, this is reminding me of like another time in uh, when I was living in San Francisco when uh, I had like awful roommates um, like you do. And uh, (laughs) they um, they got really mad at me about something and I decided to move out because of it. I I kind of like uh, do you have these moments in your life, Merit, where uh like somebody says one thing to you and you have like a space time continuum break and, uh, and you, and you have like a moment of clarity or like assurance of like how you're going to deal with it. Like I'm not going to be this person's friend anymore. Mm, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I do have them and, uh, that's like my gut talking. Mm -hmm. I like don't, I don't know. That's like how I know that I should really be like listening to my intuition. I don't have to be rash, but like I got to I'm like started down another path or like in another dimension now. Anyway, mm-hmm. so <laughs> so I, so I had this experience with these like awful roommates where I was like, well, they did this thing and now I'm going to move out. And at the time I was like a fancy hoe or fancier than I am now maybe. Um and uh um I had a hairdresser in the Castro, you know, I was living in the lower Hay and I had a hairdresser in the Castro. Cause that's what like fancy San Francisco faggot hose used to do. I don't know if it's like that now actually. Um, but, uh, so I would like stroll down to my, uh, hairdresser in the Castro. And of course it was like free therapy or like the therapy is like included in your styling. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, I like sit in his chair and tell him about the drama with my roommates. And he said something I will never forget, which was there are some people in this world who are so miserable that they won't be satisfied until 
everyone that they can see is as miserable as they are. Mm. And I was like, that is right. And I don't, I can't control them, but I can sure as hell get myself as far away from them. (laughs) So. Yeah, that is a wise thing that that they said. (laughs) I'm just laying all this maturity and wisdom on you. Yeah, this is great. I feel like I'm getting free therapy. Oh my god. <laughs> well, maybe that's how I'll make my millions. <laughs> because I mean, therapists are uh, famously well off. Well. Some of them must be. I think some of them, well, they're doing all right. Yeah. I mean, some of them are doing fine. I mean, like, my ther- therapist doesn't get paid a whole lot, but I, I imagine a lot of them, they're doctors. They're making hundreds of dollars an hour. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I certainly have, you know, hard to define credentials in emotional labor, as I, <laughs> I, I think you might. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I've done therapeutic work. Uh, in the past that may not be recognized as such, but um, definitely uh, meets some of those uh, some of those conditions. It's kind of similar. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, um, I uh, yeah, I've been doing Skype therapy. Uh, okay. When you say that, I think this is like a new method of therapy where like somehow the software of Skype, like it's like, it's like ASMR. Ooh, um, that would be nice. Um, <laughs> you get ASMR tingles? I do actually, although it's weird. I don't get it. Like the, the classic ASMR is someone talking very softly right? and, and, like, or, and doing something like uh, scraping something or yeah whatever um those just like freak me out to the point where like i um almost start crying if i keep watching them for like more than a few minutes Uh, (laughs) i don't know what that's about (laughs) um i get asmr from like it's very hard to explain it's like very oddly or badly written prose like old web like old geocity sites that are like really like sloppily written I just, like, like like purple prose like, no, no, you know? no 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 not like purple like um like kind of bad grammar um okay. like overuse of exclamation marks um like i get asmr from like old websites about like mid-90s video games um like sites with like uh, flashing text, like the <laughs> whole old tripod GeoCities aesthetic, um, is what gives that to me. <laughs> when did and when did you discover this? <laughs> it's funny, like um, I've had that for so long. Like I've always something has always drawn me to that kind of thing, and yeah. I've always I just find it very soothing, like very calming to just like read those mm-hmm. things and be like, oh, this is nice. Um, and then I when I found out about ASMR, I was like. I think this is me, but like with a different thing. Um, also, mm. sometimes I'll like watching um, YouTube videos of people talking about stuff that I don't care about at all. Um, like just videos of like videos with like 
five views or something that I happen to stumble onto of like an interview of like a professor talking about economics or something just very strange where I'm just like, oh, yeah, I don't know this subject at all. And you're just sort of not talking about anything I care about. But I'm just going to like listen to your voice, which I guess is kind of that's sort of what ASMR is about. Yeah, well, I mean, I I don't know um, that much about like music and sound theory or like I'm not an ear doctor, but I imagine that it does probably have something to do with tone, which I, I don't know if I've ever read like anybody like a like a noise theorist um, talking about ASMR. Um, people mostly, I, I feel like most of what I've read is like the phenomenon of people's obsession and like, yeah. Um, try like uh, the the uh, elusive scientific explanation or lack thereof, um, but yeah, I imagine it is probably like a tone that is comforting or pleasurable to you. I guess like the thing that's most interesting to me about it is where um, what is the what is the origin of your taste in that? Right. Like, is it nature or nurture? Right? Like, were you born this way? <laughs> <laughs> like, or did you have an experience that, um, you know, much like people describe like, you know, one like disciplinary spanking that they got that they, when they were 10, that is the root of their fetish or like, you know, the time that they watched Thelma and Louise and like, didn't realize yet that they were a dyke, but like would <laughs> in 10 years, like, like a root. Like, I wonder if you have a root for that kind of tone. I don't know. Like personally, I can't think of one and I'm not sure what that is about either because it doesn't work on everyone and different people's things are different like as to what works which is very strange and like I wonder too how much of it is like hearing about this being a thing and then experiencing it which doesn't say that it isn't real like that's mm. still as real as anything but it's like how much the ter that term or that phenomenon has like has sort of given that sensation to people um I find um, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I find the whole industry very fascinating now, too, because it's, like, right on the edge of what I would consider sex work. I agree. <laughs> because you have, like, so many of the videos are, like, these very attractive girls doing just, like, either, like, telling you a story or, like, doing something. And it's, like, very servicey and very, like, like, it's it's very close to, to like a lot of of sex work um in terms of distribution and content and all these things and i just find that really fascinating yeah and in terms of um i don't know i'm trying to imagine the appeal well but uh, you know uh, and also like the line like where does it become sexual like right you know, because you know, I'm somebody who has like very strong erotic, um, like feelings about a lot of kinky things, but they, uh, they can go along with like, like, like my genitals and like orgasm and like that specific kind of arousal, but like just as often, um, I sort of prefer them not to. Um, so I, like in that way, I could see ASMR totally being a kink. Um, but 
I guess it's kind of about self-identification, right? Like if you, if you need, if you need to call, if you want to call it a kink, then like by all means do so. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a little harder to define. Yeah. Yeah. It's this weird amorphous thing that touches on all of these different spaces and, um, yeah, and at the same time, is like portrayed a lot of the time as this very like good natured kind of like uh, PG sort of thing, which is interesting to me as well. And it, I think a lot of people want to say that it's not a sex thing; it's just like a a weird brain thing, um, which I guess a lot of kink people have said as well in the past. Like this isn't a weird sex thing; it's just like a a thing I, that people do. I mean, I have news i mean i i feel like go on the i will go on the record saying that sex is a weird brain thing among uh mm-hmm. you know many other many other things that you could call it um well i'm curious what uh what is the like somatic sensation that you get from watching those videos the the like uh geocities videos oh well they're not videos just like actual oh, actual old websites that i am just reading i'm doing like archaeology of like these you know, 20 year old websites about whatever or anything. Um, It's just like, it is like a, it's not a sensation that I would associate with anything else. Really. It is just like a, like a a kind of like, yeah, tingling on your scalp. Mm -hmm. Like just like that sort of settles over you and you can just sort of feel like, Oh, this is nice. It's like a good feeling. Um, But it's, I wouldn't call it erotic or anything. Does it make you feel euphoric? Um, no, I wouldn't describe it that way. And it's not like, it's also not like taking drugs or anything. It's just like pleasant, I guess. The thing that has always given me those tingles, which I will say is like base of the scalp, like, yes, like yeah. tingling downwards down mm-hmm. my neck, yeah. um, like between my shoulder blades. Um, and then like maybe also a little bit like, in my sacrum. So like definitely a spine thing, um, is I have like a very vivid memory of one particular time when I was very young, when I was playing doctor and I was the patient and just lying, laying, lying prone on my back in like a, elementary elementary school like playroom while my friend probably had like fisher price like um you know reflex hammers and uh you know all of all of that uh like fake doctor stuff and like examined me and like i just need to make it very clear that this was not like a, like a young, perfectly natural, like curious sexual exploring thing. It was, it was simply just like being like the, the, I don't know, like the, the patient <laughs> I was going to, I don't know if I was like the object or the subject anyway, like just lying there and being like poked and prodded gave me those crazy tingles. Mm, yeah. and, and then I also get it Actually, speaking of getting my hair done, I like sometimes get it if I am getting my hair done. Um, and it 
it makes sense that if somebody is like yanking on your hair and that you would like get a little bit of like, you know, like sparkles down your spine. But, um, it also does make me feel euphoric. Like it makes Mm. me feel like, um, like sort of like embraced and safe and like, everything's going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh my God. Both of those, when you're describing both of those things, it was like, yeah, like both for me, because I have pretty strong memories of the former as well. And like, God, now I want to read something about that, about like kids playing doctor, because that is just so fascinating to me. Yeah. It's such like a primal thing of just like primal, but also like a very like socialized thing of like there's there are roles here of like a doctor and a patient. And here's what the doctor does. And here's what the patient does. But oh. also just this primal thing of like being like a still person and being like a moving person. Mm. Um, yeah, it's wild. Oh my God. I'm going to look this up after the show because I'm really curious. <laughs> well, um, you know, but I do have to say as somebody who uh, has a lot of experience with a lot of different kinks and fetishes um, personally and professionally, I am not personally or professionally all that into medical play mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and uh like uh, if if a client came to me like wanting to do medical play i would like totally get into it um uh for the money um and there's plenty of stuff to explore like i you know i know what i'm doing but uh like i get i get medical play <laughs> You know, and I get like that you can have it be like super severe and surreal, even and like fetishy and like nightmare horror, or it can be like very like domestic and nurturing and, um, you know, or like hello nurse or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and it can be humiliating or it can be like, um, you know, like you don't have any power and I'm like performing some sort of like weird experimental, uh, you know, technique, this like new technique I'm developing. (laughs) (laughs) But then like in my, you know, neither like in my, but it was never something that I was like, yeah, I'm going to put that in my ad so that I get all the medical play patients like coming to me. Like I'm going to get the latex nurses outfit so that I'll like make sure that they come to me. I was always kind of like meh about it. And yet it's like one of my earliest sort of like excitement fantasy memories. Yeah. Mm. That is, that's interesting. Like that, that maybe people would expect there would be like a a connection there or like continuity, but these things are like always way more complicated than that. Right. Well, I really liked the way that you were describing the, the like prescribed roles. And I do think that that is like why so many people like land on it you know, um, or like have a very like vivid and intense, like early experience that, you know, they like associate with like the satisfaction of curiosity or just like, uh, somebody like touching them in a way that they'd never been touched before. Um, even if it is like totally appropriate, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, the idea of sort of like lying on your back while people like poke and prod and explore you, I guess is pretty fun and interesting, but 
but I don't, but you know, but again, like the idea of being like totally like fearful and powerless, like I've been abducted by aliens and they're going to probe me or something, which, uh, <laughs> which by the way is definitely like used to be like a specialty of mine as a dominatrix. Um, <laughs> anything sci-fi. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like that sort of like cold, distant kind of a thing i'm much more into like a slumber party like the idea of everybody like poking and prodding me and like teasing me at a slumber party (laughs) also a very like man talk about like culturally charged settings or just like these typical these prototypical uh yeah settings for like weird experiences of that stuff like yeah i mean i yeah slumber parties man (laughs) yeah for real um do you have any like outstanding slumber party stories that you care to share oh man do i have slumber party stories i mean they're so complicated right because like um i feel like on the one hand there are these like places of intimacy and like closeness and then on the other hand they're like occasions for for that closeness and intimacy to be violated or to be harmful in mm-hmm. ways that are really hard to pull apart and like what or if there's a power struggle right yeah like, yeah they're like i mean they're they're sites for social struggles between um yeah between like young people and when i think about my experiences with them um, there's like a lot of, a lot of positive stuff. And then there's like a lot of stuff that like I've since realized was like super negative and like really bad. Um, mm. and like, I go so far to say like abusive and, and yeah. painful. Um, but then I also think about how like some of that stuff like is really close to things that I think about now in like, um, in like an erotic sense and it's like, oh, it's weird how there is like that. Don't say. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how, oh, it's weird how like, it's almost like people like eroticize painful things to to deal with them or to cope with them sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's so complicated. Why is that so hard? Why are people so, um, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like, why the fuck are people so resistant to that? Anyway, we can come back to that. No, yeah, like, um, go on, go on. Oh, I mean, this is like, uh, you know, this is like perpetually stuck in my craw, you know, like why, um, why is it so, um, why are people so resistant to what to me is like, like plain as day, which is that Like people have like an, I think that a lot of people have an impulse, like a, like a deep, like speaking of listening to your gut, like a, um, an urge to work out their anxieties, which are usually the result of power dynamics, power struggles, uh, you know, hegemony and oppression, uh, in their lives to like work them out through sex. Like it, it's so effective. (laughs) Um, I'm not saying it's like a, you know, I'm not trying to be like snake oil salesman here, you know, like, um, but I, I just have found it to be so effective. And like, I, uh, I don't, um, 
I mean, I, I guess I do know that like why people are so resistant to it is because like, once you know, once people demonstrate that you can fuck with power, then powerful people are like, but then there won't be enough for me because <laughs> it's like it's like a limited resource, so I have to hoard it. I don't know. No, I it's I think you're so right. And to me, the interesting thing about that is that nominally feminist people Ugh. are also resistant right. to that. And I mean, this is like an old old ass idea, right? The sex wars. Um, and everything, but even but now, there are fucking people who there are well-read people who are like, "What? Andrea Dworkin thought what? Like, uh, you know?" Versus, like, you know. Anyway, I. Well, I mean, just what's wild to me right now, and like, um, this is going to go up a few weeks after this piece did, but I wrote a piece, um, for a website uh, with my friend Simone uh, de Rochefort about a week ago um, about this video game text adventure thing that is like about kink and like mm. and sex and also manipulation and like social stratas and things like that and like there's a scene in it that made a lot of people really uncomfortable and it's is like the thing you were telling me about when we were going to do that obscenity panel and you were saying that people were censoring this game that was like explicitly playing with power dynamics, but like when, when like people make video games that are like violent and have all of this like sublimated power struggle that like <laughs> with it is this? Am I, I think it may be the same game because yeah, there were issues around getting it on Steam, which is like the big digital game distribution platform. I think since then it's gone up on there, yeah. um, which is really cool. But but basically, um, the article was about how a lot of folks and not like people who would think of themselves as conservative or anti-queer or, or anti-feminist, but quite the opposite were really incensed at this one scene where um, the player character who is a woman has this kind of like nebulously um, consenting sexual interaction with a man. Um, and basically like the whole scene like sends up the entire game and it just really makes you question like your whole motivations and your behavior and like I wouldn't call it a rape scene like I don't think that it's how it was intended and that's not how it came off to me um but I think a lot of people felt blindsided by that um even though like there were all these sort of precautions taken around it um after the initial release where she sort of added these content warnings she made it skippable all these things and she ended up taking it out entirely um, just because she didn't want to deal with the blowback from it. And to me, that was like, well, here's the thing. This isn't a game. This isn't a piece of media made by a, a big company or a man who is reinforcing ideas about corrective rape or is reinforcing ideas about how queer women really just need like a good dick or whatever. <laughs> this is a game that's made by a queer woman. And like, it's a very thoughtful and like difficult scene for sure. But the response to the, something being like, I don't think this should exist because this fantasy props up these ideas to me is like, well, no, I mean, that's the whole point of fantasy, right? Is like, yes, sometimes dominant fantasies can prop up dominant, dominant power settings. And like, 
yeah, sometimes we need to speak out, but them. but 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 like you have to, you, you know, I mean, I, I guess I guess it's a, a matter of um, I guess it's a matter of of taste or or um, or perception. I mean, I'm very wary to talk about like the idea of like like literate, like critical literacy or like sophistication, like yeah. uh, because that's super classist. Um, and you know, like then, you know, the second I start saying that, like who decides like what is, um, you know, a sophisticated reading sure, of, yeah. <laughs> of a, of a gray area consent scene, you know? So, um, that being said, like the sort of like nesting dolls of irony of consent, um, are, all I know is that we have a, a society um, that, like, just does not seem to, like, understand consent or, like, be able to, like, agree on, like, a working definition of consent. Like, and then we also have this society where people, like, are up in outrage about this, about, like, imagery that about about kink and like consensual non-consent or like or porn i mean right right on it but like the idea that like all porn necessarily is rape and exploits women because sometimes what you're seeing depicted is like um uh like a melodrama of domination and submission like um i don't know anyway i'm ranting (laughs) but uh like people don't you know, I always like kind of try to talk about like that, like the irony of, uh, of BDSM that like the more you respect someone, the more you will just like fucking like slam them up against the wall. and take <laughs> If that's what they want, that's what they're asking you for. Right. Like, because like, I'll speak for myself from my experience and say that like, if somebody doesn't like throw me up against the wall and just like fucking like have their way with me, then like, I just am like, over bottoming like really fast <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a good point right like it's want me to make you come again like you know if you're not gonna like take me down then like i'm just you know i'm happy to make you come again <laughs> it's like no it's it's oh it's such a good point though because it's almost like going after the symptoms rather than the the cause right like you see someone doing work that that seems to illustrate this stuff um and it makes you uncomfortable and you sort of go after them when really like well the problem isn't isn't certainly to me isn't like women making work that that works through these kinds of issues it's like the culture that that makes that necessary in the first place right my absolutely or uh and uh but my like my big thing is that these people are taking it too literally like as if they've never been told a story Mm. or watched a sports ball game (laughs) you know like it's not that obscure 
actually for people to find comfort and catharsis in people setting aside the normal decorum of civilization and kicking the shit out of each other or pretending to be someone that they're not or creating a sense of drama and tension and suspense, which is then like, you know, like satisfied or not satisfied, like, you know, uh, it's it's storytelling it's entertainment you know it's like uh it's it's ancient and i think it is natural as loaded a word as that is yeah i completely agree and like i also want to say that i don't think anyone is like speaking of consent like no one should be or really in my mind is being forced to to read kinds of narratives that don't appeal to them or that they're not ready to handle or that they may never want to handle. Um, but to move from discomfort, to move from a personal discomfort to this shouldn't exist, I think that's where the problem comes in. Yeah. This shouldn't exist is um, <laughs> people, uh, people use that. It's an overused uh, perspective. <laughs> Yeah. You know, or like not being used in the right place. Like fucking Nazis shouldn't exist. Right, or like, right. You know, we should like, you know, like punch, keep punching them until they stop existing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, anyway, um, Nazi punching. I'm for it. <laughs> yeah, make sure you have a straight wrist. Yes. Um, Did you see that thread on Twitter today of the person that was like, hey, before we punch Nazis, we really ought to think through our actions, like, and then goes on to, like, describe a bunch of very useful self-defense tools, or it's like slash, uh, you know, like, the proper way to punch someone, like boxing, martial arts. Yeah, yeah, I was tweeting about that a while ago as well. Um, Like, just have it, you know, make sure your wrist is straight, follow through, yeah. um, tuck your thumb so we'll under your knuckles. Strength in your, in your, in your hips, then in your shoulders. So mm-hmm, <laughs> rotate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh God. You know, I, um, I had an experience, uh, like the day after the election where, um, I, had an editor, I hope this doesn't come back to bite me in the ass. Um, but, uh, I had an editor ask me to write a like queer response to the election. Let's just say. Um, and I wrote a sort of like, um, (laughs) this like shows like how despondent I was. I like sat down to write about like being queer and the election. And I started writing about the musical cabaret (laughs) And, uh, and I like talked about how like cabaret is like all like fun and games until you realize that it's about like the insidious creep of Nazis, like into your, um, like fabulous Bob Fosse choreography and, uh, and how like by the end, like the MC is, is wearing a, you know, a pink triangle. And I talked about the pink triangle and act up and all this stuff. And my editor was like, well, this, you know, there's like plenty in this piece that I want to run, but this whole thing about cabaret, you know, and this was like the week after the American election. Um, this is like mid November, 2016. Uh, 
And then she was like, I just feel like it's really offensive to compare Mike Pence and Donald Trump to the Holocaust. So I think that I just need you to rewrite this part. And I was like, you know what? Fine. Like, you're hiring me. Like, I don't I don't consider this an indignity. If this was like the only place that I could talk about how I feel, which it obviously isn't, then I might feel like, you know, take more of a stand. It's like, okay, this is not the the like perspective for you. But then after that, I was just like, I was just like, fuck that, man. And that's that is why I got a pink triangle tattoo on my middle finger, because I'm just like, I will I just I am not here for people who are like, mm, but especially like being a, like a queer Jewish person. It's like, just don't just l- listen to me on this one. And also, <laughs> also I'm talking about a musical. So can we like, just like sink into the allegory here for a second? <laughs> like, but I, you know, I, I just like, don't, we should be punching Nazis. Mm-hmm. God though, that, that, um, what you're talking about, Sounds like a really good piece. I feel like I need to like headhunt you to write for for my new magazine because Oh, I totally talked about your new magazine in my uh in the latest episode of my podcast because <gasps> you guys tweeted something. Oh god. Oh, the last time there was a critical mass of queer artists, we called it the Renaissance. Yeah. <laughs> I I I um was podcasting with Ellen Stagg and talking about uh, erotic photography and somehow that the Renaissance came up and I was like, Oh yeah, by the way. Oh, I was like, yeah, Michelangelo, total homo, like newsflash. (laughs) Um, And uh, so, so yeah, anyway, so you are, uh, you're doing this new magazine. That's cool. Yeah. It's super cool. What's it called again? It's called Ignota. Ignota. Ignota comes from, well, it means unknown. Cool. In in Latin, oh, and cool. um, and I believe also in Spanish and Italian, um, but it comes from this um, German uh, uh, seeress and um, abbess and writer and and all these things, uh, Hildegard of Bingen, who wrote this uh, this language called the lingua ignota that was basically a constructed language that she came up with um and uh like the secret language that she was written in uh or that she was writing in and um she was also just like writing all of this music um meant to be sung mostly by women and just like was this amazing figure and um so we um were named after that and we are we're a queer magazine, um, but we're not. We're not really doing. We're not doing pop culture, and we're not doing really current events, in the sense of like we're not a a news outlet. Um, it's uh, like an arts and literature um, magazine, and um, the big thing for us is like we feel like there is a queer voice that you can sort of see throughout history in different forms and different places. Mm. And um, we want to kind of channel that and nurture it and encourage it. Um, so we're not just talking about work that's like by queers or for them, but work that is in itself, like is, is breathed with this voice of queerness. So it's very oh. lofty ideas and we're, um, <laughs> we're excited oh. to actually implement them. 
I mean, I'm like a firm believer in the idea that, um, like queers, <laughs> like make art instead of breeding or like breed art. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, uh, plenty of queer people are like, so, you know, really great parents. And I like love my, my, uh, like shout out to all the queer parents of the world. Um, but, uh, Personally, I like feel that like deep inside me that like I am like my orientation is like to make that my like homosexual orientation is to, like make art instead of um babies. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like kind of creating this like uh, you know by by like following the the train of of queer art or the queer voice like through history. It's like making like a you know like a family tree. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, and we, I don't know, I think we are, uh, at least right now, operating in a mode that is kind of very dramatic, that is very um, glittery, that is very sequined. And so talking about cabaret feels very, very key, relevant to us. Well, if there's sequins, you got to count me out because that's just not my... Um, <laughs> Actually, you know what? Uh, shout out to the the cuff that I have had from Hot Topic since I was a teenager. Yes. Um, that uh, the like snap cuff, not like um, a slapper. Uh, no, but like a, a. I mean, like a. Yeah. But it was it was leather and it had like maroon. I guess not sequins, like sparkles on it, and um, I wore it for years and years and years, and it this weekend for like neurotic self-care I like cleaned out my caboodle which I don't know if you guys had caboodles in Canada but it's basically like a little sort of durable plastic um like toolbox for your makeup mm -hmm. that was like very popular in the 80s when I was a child um and so I like still keep all of my like makeup and jewelry in this caboodle and I like cleaned all of the like makeup gunk off of everything in there um and like virgo reorganized it and i i found this cuff this like maroon sparkle hot topic cuff in the bottom of it and it just has lost all of its sheen i've had it for like 20 <laughs> and i was like it's time for you to go and i threw it away so shout out to that cuff though yeah well it's a new chapter you know, proof that glitter has been a part of my gender since I was a virgin. So, <laughs> <sighs> how are we, Garrett? Oh, I'm. You asked me how I am, and I just went on a rant. No, about that's what I wanted. That's why I have guests. If I wanted to talk about how I was, I would just have my own show where it's just the merit show, and I just talk about nothing for an hour. <laughs> I would definitely listen to that. Oh my god, it would get so old so quickly. But I um, do tell you that the to this to this day, um, your episode of my podcast is like by far the most listened to. <gasps> oh uh, my! Oh my gosh! And, and I, I'm imagining that part of it is that it 
it has the name cocksucking and like a lot of <laughs> a lot of the other episodes are like way more obscure like magic and like bicycles like people are like why what does this have to do with sex you know but um, uh tattoos you know uh but uh but yours so yours called cocksucking but you know i also i think i think the people uh really really love you Merit. Oh, well, you know, I love them too. My adoring public. I just, you know, I just really know how to, how to appeal to a, you know, a broad spectrum of, of real Americans who are united by their love of cocksucking. It's just, I mean, people all over the world listen to my shows. I'm sure listen to yours. So this is like global cocksucking um, appeal that you have. Well, that's you're too kind. <laughs> well, what is the name of that show? Because we have not mentioned it yet. Oh, uh, well, uh, since you asked, my uh, podcast is called Why Are People Into That? And every episode I have on a different guest, such as Merit. Uh, and the guest chooses a subject related to sexuality that they want to explore the title question with, um, and which in Merit's case was cocksucking. Um Although we also did talk about the Omegaverse. We did. Uh, a while, which blew my mind. <laughs> so fascinating. Um, which reminds me, I like kind of want to do a series, like a, like a, like a limited series of why are people into that? That is all about um, like, like speculative fetishes, basically. <sighs> like, um, so um, I've been very obsessed with, artificially intelligent sex workers um uh or like you know artificially intelligent like machines robots that are like uh whose like purpose and programming is um for sex um and uh have like written about it quite a lot and rose eveleth who does the um uh uh flash forward podcast was Mm -hmm. like you want to come on and talk about sex robots and then Charlotte Shane, who your listeners will know from previous episodes, past guests, yeah, yeah, your uh, friend, friend of the pod, uh, Charlotte Shane. Um, uh, we, I was over at her house, and we were like playing this like weird board game, psychological um, game, uh, and in it, we were talking about like the. We all had to answer the question: Would you have sex with your clone? And then, would you let your partner have sex with your clone? Um, and, and there was one other question and then that we like really got to talking about it. And I was like, and then Charlotte and I were like, we obviously should do an episode of like why people into clones. (laughs) (laughs) Because by the way, Merritt, would you fuck your clone? Oh God, absolutely. Oh my God, me too. God, I don't know. I feel like I have a fundamental, like, I feel like maybe the most fundamental difference between me and any other person is anyone who says no to that question it's like well then what are you trying to do dated like what are you trying to do when you're having sex like if you're not trying to fuck yourself like what what's your goal here what are you trying to approximate oh my god you would that that like would go over very well with the like sex positive community merit so you know (laughs) don't write them off you you know you really could be uh anyway i shout out to the sex positive community but um i agree with you 100 percent. but the people that 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 i've talked to about this that like did not like 
people are like emphatically for or against it. Interesting. What's sure the argument for being would, against? I'm pretty sure, by the way, you need to talk to Charlotte about this, or maybe we should start a Twitter war because I'm pretty sure that she said that she would not fuck her clone. Interesting. I'm going to tweet at her. <laughs> um, but then also there's the question, like, would you give your partner permission, which of course is like one of those like weird sort of like you have to sort of filter this through like, you know, monogamy, poly, blah, blah, whatever um, stuff first. But like, would you like give if your partner, this is the scenario I imagine, like if your partner or your date or whatever, like came to you with your clone and they said, we really want to fuck each other. Is that cool with you? Would it be cool with you? Oh, um, wow. That's, I feel like that's a slightly more complicated question. Right. Because it's like uh, your partner, you're, it's like validating because your partner wants to fuck you. But like, also if they want to fuck you, why don't they just fuck you? Like, well, why I feel like it brings up a lot of things like what kind of clone are we talking about? Are we talking like cloned from this moment and has like the same brain patterns and like all these same experiences as me? Are we talking about a clone who was this like like fast grown in a lab who has like has the same initial brain but different experiences? Like it's complicated, right? Because we also could get into like a very dangerous like clone versus clone kind of scenario. Right. No, this is, see, this is why this is so fun and interesting, right? Because it's like, if it's a situation like, okay, like, have you seen Orphan Black, Canadian? I haven't. Oh, I I mean, I recommend it. I really like it. But like, that's a show about a bunch of clones who, like, were all raised in different environments. Like, they, they were, they were all like born at the exact same time. Um, but they're all clones of each other, right? So so there's that. But then there's, like, that Michael Keaton movie, Multiplicity. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, that's a situation where, like, like he like he is, like, a fully formed human, like, made clones of himself then. Oh, my God. I also just remembered that I think that maybe that movie is homophobic. Do you ever have that moment where you, like, think about a movie, <laughs> a movie that you haven't thought about in, like, 10, 15, 20 years? And you're like, shit. Because I think that one of his clones that he, that, that he like tasks with, um, I have such a weird memory for movies. That one of the clones that Michael Keaton's character in Multiplicity um, tasks with, um, like looking after the house so that he doesn't have to do chores, like becomes like super fay really fast. The like the like domestic clone. Yeah. Have you seen this movie? It's been a while, but I have seen this movie. And I, but it's like, it's sort of like one of the ways that you're supposed to like distinguish between them is that like, like. He gets very fussy, right? Right. He gets fussy, which we all know what that (laughs) means. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, I I had that experience not to like totally, not to totally riff, but I had that experience, uh, when I I was at the gym and the movie Father of the Bride was on the like gym TV and um, when's the last time you saw the Steve Martin movie Father of the Bride? Oh God, it was like twenty years ago. Okay, but do you remember the Martin Short character? 
No. Well, Martin Short plays a, wait for it, wedding planner. And the whole stress of the day of like the wedding day, like part of the like antics are based on like the wedding planner who is like flaming caricature uh, Fassi and also has excellent taste and decor and clothes, of course, like Steve Martin's like, you know, it's like suit doesn't quite fit. And so, you know, so like the, the Martin Short is like, you know, making sure that like his, you know, he's like, uh, mo- like molesting him because of course, like if you're gay, you're a wedding planner. And also you like, don't have any boundaries and you also want to fuck every man and will attempt to fuck every man. So there's this like gay panic thing going on in that movie. Yikes. It's one thing when there's like a, like a flamboyant caricature but it's another thing when it like goes straight for the like gay panic which is like apparently very funny to people yes yeah um not to derail this whole conversation but i did get a response from charlotte oh Um, you tweeted her just now (laughs) i did we're on the air with charlotte over twitter and um, i said that i was sort of surprised that, that you said that she wouldn't do this. And she said, meh. I mean, maybe if my clone really begged me for it. Oh, my God. Of course. And she- I said, in ways, we are very different people. Also, We're very similar in a lot of ways, Charlotte and I. But there are some points of divergence, and this is one of them. And then, of course, uh, <laughs> Lorelai is uh, tweeting, this conversation wins Twitter. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> know if there's like a whole lot of competition right now um it's like this conversation about like would you fuck your clone is like better than um you know the like racist trash fire of um the free world um but uh anyway i guess we win cool well that was my goal the whole time (laughs) so (laughs) we won we did it we got there um, it's been a long, hard podcast, um, but, you know. I made a clone of myself to do this podcast. Um, Whoa. So that, like, just, like, go straight to bed and watch ASMR videos. Man, that would be, like, the saddest clone existence. Like, you just exist to do podcast interviews. I mean, I like doing podcast interviews, but maybe I'm just saying that because I am the clone. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the other Tina wanted you to think. Oh Oh my God. What is existence? Doing podcasts mostly, as it turns out. For me. Doing podcasts, punching Nazis, going going to protests, um, Mm. donating to CARE and the ACLU, Mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff, all these things. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, this was this was super fun. I think we're we've we have reached the end of the show. <laughs> um, but we did talk about your show, and I will link that in the show notes. Um, is there anything else that you want to plug before we go? Um, I am writing and publishing a lot these days, so you can read everything that I'm writing on the internet at tinahorn.net. That's T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N. Um, uh, somebody is holding TinaHorn.com hostage. Um, <sighs> Rude. In, you know, whatever. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter at Tina Horn's ass, which is spelled the same as Tina Horn's sass. 
That's also my handle on Instagram. Um, I have a Patreon, uh, as you do. I know Merit. Uh, um, and my Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N. Um, and, uh, but mostly, yeah, I totally want people to listen to why are people into that and they can start with the cocksucking episode. <laughs> uh, sweet. Yeah. Please. Uh, everyone should go check that out. Not just cause I'm on it. It's a very good podcast. I will put a link to that in the show notes and thank you again, clone of, of Tina Horn for being on the show. Um, best of luck with your clone existence. Well, I mean, you know, doing podcasts all day is uh, its not all bad. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me on. I uh, admire you so much. I am such a fan of this show. Uh, it is exciting, to be on it. And, and also some of the people that have hit me up who are your fans, who listened to my show because you were on it, have definitely been the coolest new people to hit me up so your fans oh, are i'm so glad we all know coolness is the most important thing <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for being such a great guest and i will uh talk to you later and have a good night okay okay have a good night bye Secrets is hosted by Merrick Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Woodland Secrets is a part of Stay Mean, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Mean at woodlandsecrets.co support. For as little as three bucks a month, you'll get access to a monthly newsletter and frequent bonus episodes of our shows. If you'd like to have a message read on the show, head to woodlandsecrets.co slash messages. You can help people find out about the show. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at Woodland Podcast and at Stay Mean Co. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>